Greetings. Good evening. Welcome to On Resistance Radio. This is Marcus Y. I'm in studio with Jay. And today we're going to have our second segment on language, words, and dealing with court or other aspects of authority and what tools are the best way to navigate those scenarios and situations. Today, I believe we're going to talk about what I just said, (laughs) though, maybe go into the behind the scenes of the why aspect of it and just normal day-to-day things that incorporates in this type of uh, navigation. So I guess I can start off with just, we kind of left off about talking about court. And before I go into the court and other aspects of navigation, I wanted to touch on what are the things that we do consistently to to change our reality? You know, what are some of the things that we do consistently to change our reality? Some people might believe that they can change the reality or their actions change their reality, or some people might believe that their actions don't change your reality. And for those who people for those people who believe that their actions maybe have small or no impact on the reality, I would just say you know, go silent for five days and see how your reality changes, you know, and see what what happens. Who knows what will happen, you know. You might be on a plane somewhere. You might be in a sane asylum for five days or something, you know. Who knows, like, and maybe that's just, that's maybe that's that's a dictation of where you've been living up to this far, you know. Like, how would people even treat you if you were to just go inside and just listen to what was going on? And I bring that up just to kind of bring a comparison to the body in itself like we know we're familiar with the word digestion so like the stomach has to digest food and whatnot though we don't really apply it to other aspects of the body and if the body is just replicating itself throughout the body which is my belief the brain also has to digest so instead of constantly coming up with you know media coming up with words to say coming up with like this exchange to to output we give ourselves time to digest what's already there, like sitting in the, sitting in our own like s h i t in a way like in a way to process you know process what's already there, maybe even get rid of like part of digesting is to eliminate you know so maybe like sitting with our own thoughts, we're able to eliminate some of the thoughts that are not serving us instead of constantly being in a state of receiving information, so I feel like. Focusing on the things that we do consistently, talking is one of them, you know, so if you were to be quiet or just really go inside for a few days, like there's all these challenges, people setting themselves on fire challenges and like eating a loaf of bread challenge and like, you know, tap dance on some ice challenge, whatever the challenge is, like all these ridiculous things that are coming up. What about like the silent challenge, you know, see what happens with that. And another thing that we do consistently is eating. You know, what does our eating habits look like? That's one of the things that can change our reality. And another thing outside of that is movement. You know, how do we move our body? We're constantly being told that we have to go somewhere. Or we use that phrase ourselves, like we got to do this or we got to do that. And that's because there's this this pressure of being somewhere or being present that is um, either false or forced, you know, or you're, you're coerced in a way to do it because you have to go the other illusion of paying bills and under the illusion of someone's, you know, you're going to be punished. Essentially, that's what it comes down to. You feel like you're going to be punished. So you constantly have to operate your body in movements to be in certain places, you know. So what would happen if you just changed your movements and, and what, would, what would that look like? And that's, 
kind of like the basis of where I wanted to touch on. Just the simple things of just breathing, just eating and movement. Like those are the three things that we all consistently take part of. We all participate in those things. And some of those, not some of those, each one of those three things could change our reality in drastic ways if we were just to go any different direction with any of those things it wouldn't even matter like movement wise like people bring up exercise as a thing you know that's one ways of changing the body through exercise uh, or like i've mentioned before like where do you take your body are you f- constantly forcing your your body to be in places where it doesn't want to be you know so it's like movement in all forms and that's really just something for us to sit with and, and see how we utilize our energy and another thing is for that is to help us really be more focused on how we use our energy when engaging with one another, but more particularly when we're engaging with the state. So what does that look like? You know, um, there's a there's a story in the news that just happened. Some of you guys may have seen that there is a, a, a man now, but he was a child when he was arrested. Devante, the last name doesn't come to me at the moment, but Devante was arrested at 14 on um, murder charges allegedly killed four people they found him in his pajamas like around the corner from the house legally half blind one is his, one of his eyes is is blind or and ably different and um they arrested him and of course anyone who's been in any <laughs> presence of police or authority you know there's type of language that's all wrapped in coercion and all wrapped into you abiding by like the duality of criminal cops and robbers you know there's just like this duality of cops and robbers when you deal with authority and police and if they're playing the cop you already got your role you know (laughs) so it's like they're already going to paint this picture of this or of an individual and that's what they did with this this child here they befriended him you know told him things that made him feel comfortable i.e like you know your freedom or we'll give you this or we'll do this thing for you whatever the deal is and then they get him to confess to something that he hasn't done or at least they use his words to sound like a confession of something that he hasn't done. But the reason why I brought that up, because there is a key part, in, and maybe we can upload a segment of that story, where there's a key part in the story where the district attorney says that he was prosecuted by his own words. And I feel like that's very key to how we address ourselves in the court and in all aspects. Like I've mentioned before, we're always in court in a, in a form of exchange and ex- exchanging ourselves. So what does that look like? You know, if if this person convicted themselves by their own words, are you saying all people convict themselves in their, by their own words? Or what is what is that? What does that really look like? Um, I'm of the favor of that. I believe that we do use our words to either build, you know, our our reality or build our our prisons in a sense. And unfortunately, most of the words that we use have been given to us to build a prison, not to build our freedom, you know. And that's what's really important about redefining our words and using them to our benefit. If all words are tools, you know, what type of tools are we using at the time to get what type of job done? And in a time of day where everything has been weaponized, food has been weaponized, words have been weaponized, like, you know, we're just mentioning about talking and um, breathing and all the things that we engage in consistently. These things have been weaponized and our air is already at the level that it's at and continue to get worse. So what are some of the ways that we can engage with our words more 
um, precisely is the is the question at hand. I I appreciate how you're kind of connecting, or how one is connecting the um, the kind of interactions that one has on the daily, interpersonal, and community um, with like kind of recalibrating those behaviors because a friend um, explained something to me once that was like really helpful in terms of how we interact with others and it was the idea that um, our thoughts and our emotions and our actions they're not entirely separate from each other but to bring intention into your interactions with yourself whether it's your own thought process your own mental health or your interactions with others you know, if you change your thoughts, it changes your actions. It can potentially change your feelings. Um, so this is, you know, on like an internal kind of practice and interpersonally. Um, although, like, I would just say that, you know, you changing your thoughts isn't going to change the structure of oppression. But it is going to um, affect how you navigate within that structure of oppression in, in bringing intention into your interactions with each other. So I appreciate how... You know, it's about kind of, uh, we were talking the other day about, like, really slowing down our conversations so that we have more time to think about how and why we choose the words that we choose, given that they are given to us or enforced upon us um, in terms of language um, and the currency of language. And, you know, obviously that affects our interactions with each other, but then how does that change? How, how is this a tool that can change how we interact when we are, um, if we are kind of training ourselves to slow it down and think about the words that we're using and the words that are used against us and kind of being like, hold on a second, what do you mean by that word? Mm-hmm. Um, and starting to ask questions about the words that we use, how that skill set can be translated to when you are in a situation with an authority figure Um, where the element of pressure to speak and respond quickly is actually, in my opinion, magnified because there is a, you know, there is like a fluidity when we're hanging out with friends, we can get a little fast and talk a little fast with each other. Um, But that kind of takes on a whole new meaning when you're in the presence of a police officer. Um, And obviously it varies versus whether you are like observing that police officer or whether that officer is detaining you. Um, you know, because there are different ways to have interactions with officers. So, you know, there is, there was a situation at the place where I work and someone came in to the, I don't know if I told you about this, came into the place that I work, um, which uh, the location where I work is located on a school campus, mm-hmm. but we operate separately from the school campus. But, you know, some school campus rules still apply to us just because of the idea of property. So someone runs into the space right before we're about to have an event with urgency and panic and says, oh, my gosh, you know, um, I'm, I'm about to lock up the school. If your space is not going to be locked up, you need to call the police and notify the police before and after every event that you have since you're located on school grounds. But their voice was super panicky. I kind of observed the situation. My coworker observed the situation and, you know, very quickly inherited and adapted that tone of panic and urgency where this person was coming in on behalf of the school and trying to hand off 
the concern of the police to someone from our work saying that it was now our responsibility to comply with turns out the people on the phone with her were the police. Mm -hmm. So the police were, you know, <laughs> giving her like pressure and they were a sense the nucleus of, of the yeah, of the angst and the anxiety that came in and she took that and digested it and then processed it. And adapted to you guys. it. But then she turned around and told me, "Okay, so I just talked to this lady. I talked on the phone with the police." And this is the new policy, an example to show that, like, there is a sense of urgency and coercion and violence that is carried through with authority figures that people kind of just take as fact. Um, and, like, I think it does, like, you know, play on, like, your heart rate and, like, all people get really worked up. But it just very quickly turned into, like, you know, the police just called. Maybe they were trying to make their job easier and they didn't want to do something. So instead, there. they were pushing it on other people who were now relaying it. And out of nowhere, a new policy was about to be created. And I had to, like, put the brakes on that and be like, whoa, whoa, this is let's not let's not just repeat that this is a new policy. Mm -hmm. Because through repetition is how it becomes true. Right. So just an example to show, like, the sense of the, the environment that authority figures create that cause coercion um, when they're interrogating you, when they're detaining you, when they're even calling you on the phone, you know, there's an energy that they have that they put stuff on other people as if it is their responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just it's kind of taken in stride and it becomes truth after a while if mm -hmm. we repeat it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, with, with that example that you just gave right now with that story, the first thing that sticks out is um, kind of what I was trying to touch on in the beginning is just how we use our energy in all the forms. So someone comes into the room and already they're like really high strung. I think there's like a time where it's like, is this me or is this them? <laughs> and we really have to like, we're such a reflection. We're mirrors of each other. We're constantly reflecting each other. So we can relate really easily and we absorb like things that are us you know so emotions and like energy feeling like watching that's why movies are really audio media is really popular because we are really easy and um, we're really receptive to that type of energy so I think the first thing is just like what you mentioned like slowing it down you know it's like what is really going on here you know it's like this person's coming in panicking and then now I'm panicking and I wasn't even panicking two minutes ago you know it's you know, so um, I believe, like, really slowing things down and, and assessing, like, is this me or is this something else? You know, is this is this part of, you know, the path that I'm on right now in this very second? Or is this something else? Someone's coming in and, like, coming onto the path that I'm on, just to interrupt. Uh, that's very strange, though. Yeah, and I see it all the time. Just like um, a phone call that you got the other day from an investigator and, like, the way that they talk. And... Even, like, if people have ever gotten pulled over, the first things that you hear is license and registration. You don't really hear, like, a question. You don't hear, like, what's good. License and registration is the first thing. And right then and there, you've already been, in a way, assumed as a criminal, you know, or have done something wrong. And there's so many questions, you know, and I'll leave it up to people who who start to dissect this information and, and come up with every question that they feel is more comfortable for them to say. But there's so many questions just as as a do you would you believe that one has committed a crime and what would that crime be, that you believe that I've committed and are you the one claiming that I I did commit that crime you know and would you have proof that one did commit a crime 
there really isn't any evidence of this stuff. It's all hearsay. So when they come up to you and they say, oh, you know, your tail light is out, what what does that got to do with you? You know, what does that really have to do with you? It has nothing to do with you at all. And what does that have to do with the person who's offended? Like, who's offended by the taillight being out? Allegedly, by the ticket, the state was offended. So you offended someone that you didn't even know was there or existed. And when you do have this ticket or this court case, where is the state at? Where is the person that you offended? Allegedly, I'm, I'm one to believe that the only way you can actually find remedy is to have forgiveness or to bring forgiveness to the one that you've injured or the one that's injured you. Their remedy is in forgiveness. So if if you're going to court or if you're dealing with the police officer, I believe one of the first questions is, who have I offended? Or if anyone here has been offended, how could I bring remedy to the situation? You know, how could we bring remedy to the situation honorably? Because truth be told, you're never going to see the state. You're never going to see them. They don't exist. It's like the tooth fairy. You know, I've, I've overheard the, this guy, Batman, he, he was in court and he asked the judge, what's the difference between the state of Tennessee and the good old tooth fairy? And the judge didn't say anything. And that's a legal term called tacit. Like if you don't say anything, you have a tacit response. That means you agree. It's kind of like what happens to us when we go to court and we don't say anything. And it was just like, oh, you don't. And then they might use the word no contest or something, you know. But it's a, it's a tacit response to agree to what has just been stated previously. So and the judge couldn't affirm or deny, you know, so he had to just sit back and be like, well, the only difference really is, is the spelling and <laughs> the belief behind it. And part of it i really want to talk about it it's really childish and i, I think we really want to change how we view uh the courtroom we want to we want to go in there way more playful you know it's like having a kid brother who believes in santa claus and everyone in the courtroom believes in santa claus are you going to tell your brother that you don't believe in santa claus or are you just going to play along with them it's probably best to play along with them in a way where you protect yourself by using the certain words that you're using if you tell your brother santa claus isn't real don't believe in it it's going to have a more violent and a more defensive response. You're going to get way more backlash and way more um, defensity. I don't even know if that's the word, defensity from the situation versus if you're just being more loving, being more uh, accepting. And, and it's not about telling people what you believe. It's more about just questioning, oh, how did you hear about Santa Claus? Or what did you know about Santa Claus? Or have you met Santa Claus? You know, what's going on? It's, it's really not telling them that something doesn't exist. You just want to question the line of reasoning of how they got into that point. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of the story that you shared about the youth who was incarcerated for, what was it, eight years? Nine years. Eight, nine years, um, you know, for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And how the when called to account over it um the prosecutor the defense no was it the defense attorney no it was the the prosecutor the prosecution uh said that you know wouldn't take responsibility um for what had happened to this youth even though someone had all already gone also gone to uh jail over the same incident two weeks later two weeks after this youth was arrested um 
you know, coerced into into being incarcerated, someone else had gone for the same crime. So the bureaucracy itself had two people in jail for the same offenses. <laughs> and, you know, clearly this prosecutor came up and said, you know, he himself pled guilty. So he was convicted by his own words. And so to me, like, this presents a couple issues. One, that the state, you know, isn't taking, will never take responsibility for the people that it has harmed, even though it is positioning itself as some some entity there to assign responsibility for harm that is happening, but will never take that responsibility themselves. So we'll always push it back on the people that are being impacted or criminalized or incarcerated or their lives and their families really displaced and, and destroyed through the incarceration system. So is harm being remedied through this system? I think the answer overwhelmingly is no, if that system itself won't take responsibility for harm. So, but then the other thing is, you know, as Marcus that's, is that the name you're using? Um, <laughs> I just like, forget. Uh, amplified is that the, the notice on the words, you know, that they were displacing the blame onto his own words. And so when you go into court, you know, it's a very surreal process where you really have no autonomy and no voice. And in my opinion, when you're being called to court, um, it's like the state calling in um, their their commodities, like the people that they've incorporated under the name that you have that belongs on the records of the state that is registered to the state. And they're calling you in. They have absolute control over your body. You know, you can either be remanded into custody or they want to see you next week. But either way, like you belong to them in in all spaces, but especially it feels, you know, um, magnified in, in the institutional spaces because uh, the bailiff's right there, right? <laughs> like dangling his uh, handcuffs right behind you. Um, and so it's a very pressureful situation where you, one, feel like you have no voice, have no autonomy, and they have this process of lawyer lawyers where, you know, you don't have autonomy, but you have to have representation to be given any kind of consideration in this process. And so these lawyers, you know, that's a whole thing, but it just reminds me of the the um, the process of going pro per and speaking for yourself within that, that, that system. And it's, you know, people say that, oh, it's dangerous because you might get caught up on some stuff that you don't know. But I think it brings into account this, you know, idea of if the court is never, if the state is never going to take responsibility for the harm it does to you, um, and these lawyers aren't going to take responsibility for the harm they do to you because they're just there representing on your behalf. They're not actually invested. They're not facing any of the consequences that you're facing. And especially with a lot of these, um, you know, quote unquote, I don't know of how I feel about making the distinction between nonviolent and violent situations, but especially with lots of nonviolent situations, like who has been harmed? Like mm-hmm. the concrete that you were sleeping on, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 empty abandoned building that you had shelter on when you took a nap right. you know like what entity has been harmed it's not the state the state is the body that prosecutes but you know pro- property like doesn't have like you know feelings or, or life and can't really be harmed the way that the lives can be mm-hmm. when they're put in the court process mm-hmm. so it's just you know really magnifying like what does it mean when they say like your own words can incarcerate you or lack thereof. Like we don't have the agency to speak in these spaces. Um, Or if we do speak, it's to say yes. 
Yes, right. I understand, Your right. Honor. Yes, I waive my right to this, Your Honor. Yes, I'm going 10 days until the next court date. Yes, you know, um, mm -hmm. I plead this, I plead that, and your options are two options or nothing, you know. That, and that's the, uh, that's the whole reason of having this type of show right now because that's the narrative that we are changing. We do. We're the only ones with something to say in there. We're the only ones with actually something to say, but we're the only ones quiet. Or we're, That's the narrative is to be quiet. There's so much things going on in the courtroom. Really, it really comes down to who's been offended, who's the one that's been injured, you know, because it doesn't matter how many times you spin the tale of, like, I was walking here and this happened and then this person came out and then I got some of these things. Like, going through the story is irrelevant. Going through the case, whether it's violent or nonviolent, is so irrelevant. It's just really about what happened, who's been offended, and how could we reach remedy. Like, if we get stuck into, like, the the case in itself or, like, some of the things that the prosecutors are doing or the, the bailiff or something like that, we will get in that trap. And it's, it's essentially a fear trap, you know. It's essentially a fear segment of a fear uh, cultivation process you know it's like how much fear can they cultivate for you to go along with whatever they're going to do and like jay mentioned you the, typically we only get time to respond at the end and at the end they're only expecting a yes or a no and they give you this duality of two doors and they never tell you about the third door that exists because the third door is you you are the third door. You are the one. You have to create the door. Shout out to Amanda. You have to create your own door, and you are the third door. And it's your third door is asking questions. I guarantee you. If you're able to ask questions and you're able to stay on point about the situation, I even got the body there. Because, yeah, um, like Jay mentioned, they will call the name, and a lawyer will come up or someone else will come up. And I feel the the... We, the fear aspect and the pressure aspect will be amplified the more sense of ownership that we have. Like, if we have a, a sense of ownership to the name and we have a sense of ownership to even the event that existed, like on paper, that they're... Because the only thing that exists is the moment that you're in, you know? So we have ownership to that, like the hearsay of the past and, like, something that might happen in the future. They might, like, label you as something such and such, so they want to, you know, keep the society you know clean or whatever with you not being this is like all past and future things that are irrelevant because they're non-existence only thing that exists is that moment that when you're in court and if you're able to really be in like the awe you know why would if you're the awe why would you say that you're a sound or you're this name you know that you didn't even like I had nothing to, I've mentioned this before on the other show, like, I had nothing to do with the creation of the M, you know, I had nothing to do with the, the cuss sound of Marcus, you know, I was not a, a co, like, contributor or a collaborator on the alphabet and, like, these sounds, but no one was because these sounds just came with the universe, so... Who are we to like divide ourselves by saying we are something? The minute that we say we are, we are something, we're like creating division because we're everything. So when you go into court, have no allegiance, like have no ownership over these names, like over these sounds that you're hearing because they're not yours. You don't know who else is using them, and you just you are just in fact doing that, just using them. They're not, you know, you're not going to take them with you when you die, and they weren't the thing that was born when you were born, you know. What came out? You are a name, you know, like a body, a body and a being came out into this world to do something, not to have allegiance to like petty things or to feel ownership to things. Because once we start like feeling ownership, we don't have use to all things. You know, we want use for all things and we want all things to have use 
or all things to be in use for all people. Like use, the idea use of something versus ownership of something is a, a main theme that I kind of want to you know, bring it all together under that the the name, the DMV, the birth records, all of these things. You know, we talk a lot in past shows about how we did not consent to be born into this structure. The Constitution, whatever debate people say it was, I think it's an extremely violent document of colonization and genocide. The but first white affirmative action was the Constitution. <laughs> for for all of those things that it is, it was written so long ago, how could it apply to us? These laws, we did not write them. We did not consent to them. We don't know the circumstances by which we don't, we don't agree or abide by the logic. You know, we, don't, we can't say that we do agree or abide by the logic because we weren't there when they were created and we don't know the logic behind them. So it's really kind of, I want to think about, you know, being born into this system in this hierarchy and saying we don't really consent and then what does that mean when it comes to dealing with systems of authority and then also um you know i just wanted to touch on what you just mentioned about the constitution in the famous words of george bush i believe it's just a goddamn piece of paper you know that's what something that was mentioned it's like it's a piece of paper. Like, are you going to allow paper to have power over you and your thoughts and your, your whole body, like your mind? Or you're going to take it somewhere else and just question the paper in itself. And like Jay mentioned, we weren't around when these things came into existence. So why are we allowing ourselves for these things to dictate our narrative and our realities? For a lot of people, it doesn't feel like we're allowing ourselves. It feels like we are pressured into doing this and that there isn't an alternative. This conversation is about an alternative that has been practiced by people, drawing a distinction between going into court and being represented by another, going into court and representing yourself and claiming a self and going pro per. And then the third option, which is what we're kind of getting to and talking about, is going into court because you are called to court and speaking on behalf of the matter, but not claiming to be yourself, that incorporated name. And because you don't claim that self, the state cannot categorize you according to their documents. They can't move on to the next step because the first step is getting you to claim to be that person. Right. And you're saying, no, 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 I hear that there's a conflict. I'm here on behalf of that conflict to right. remedy that conflict. However, I am not going to claim that name because when you claim that name, that is where the state owns that name. So then that's the state that, owns you. Yeah, that's where the quote-unquote meddling comes in is once they have a controversy associated with this name, so you go in there and say, I'm that name. You're essentially saying, I'm that controversy, essentially, you know. And it's really just like, think about energy. Think about the most dominant thing that's going on in that room. It's not really the words that you're using. It's the energy even more so. And what Jay mentioned is what I think is really important to leave, leave this show off on is the difference between ownership and using something, you know. When you own things those things own you and you have liability to keep those things up kept in a sense and for some reason you really don't have full control over the things that you may think you own like a house like a car like a house whatever the situation is with the house and the banking and stuff like that mortgages and then you have car things like registration like anybody who wants to look up the word registration and what that might mean you're essentially like signing over your uh, the power of the vehicle or your power of the vehicle over to the state you know and the state in itself is an idea 
the state is an idea, you know? So it's like all the people who are within that idea are within that belief of the state, you know? So how could an idea really be injured? You know, when you go into court and you're asking, oh, who is the one that I've injured? How could an idea be injured, you know? Or put the idea on the stand, let me hear it. Like, let me hear the injury that I caused the idea because I, I wanna bring remedy to the, to the situation. And as far as using, using just even just the word in itself is like way more free form, way more fluid. And it's what we're and it sounds like that because that's what we're already doing. We're already in the participation of using like we're using the body. We had nothing to do with it coming together and like from all the things, the dirt and the dust or whatever people want to consider it, however it came together. And then we're going to leave the body here and do something else. Like we're just using this body as a vehicle and we're using all the things that we've come into contact with, like this fork, this microphone. These I don't own these things. I'm just using them at the moment because no one else was using them at the moment. I would also just add that the state, you know, is an idea and it has an organization of people that give validity and believe in that idea. Like a religion. Like a religion. It has a strong, the state has a strong belief backed by action. And a lot of that action is causing harm and mistreatment to people, definitely. And enforcing it. Like prisons. Like prisons are just institutional abuse, really. But they maintain themselves by saying they're there to address abuse, which is, I think, the biggest scam. If you didn't hear our past show, kind of getting into this topic of language and tactics and navigating structures of authority, specifically that wants to imprison you, um, you can check out our SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash on-resistance for the past show and for further shows on this topic. I think this is the second part of a series. Um, we're going to check in about possibly doing another. And if you have any questions, please email us. Please, please onresistanceradio at gmail.com and we are considering doing a live show possibly or at least taking callers and again our SoundCloud soundcloud.com slash on-resistance.